Welcome to episode 30 of the Running Around Baltimore podcast. I am your host, Glenn Smith. Before we get into our new episode, let's take a minute to recap episode 29. In episode 29, we shared race reports from the Hellgate 100K, the Gar Williams Half Marathon, and the Celtic Solstice Five Miler. We also shared previews of upcoming events for February 2020, a trail running route on the Baltimore and Harford County line, a new segment called The Why, and my interview with Thomas Newberger. Thomas is the founder of Big Run Media and the website Believe in the Run, which focuses on in-depth shoe and gear reviews. Thomas is also an avid marathoner and the rig leader of the Faster Bastards, one of Baltimore's most prominent run crews. In addition to unpacking Thomas's running story and the transformative impact that running has had on his life, it was great to learn more about the Faster Bastards, and he shared some great stories from a big 2019. If you missed it, go back and check it out. Episode 30 features an interview with Dr. Annie Newroar, whose uh, physical therapy practice focuses on helping to put injured runners back together and back on the road. Annie is also a big supporter of Back on My Feet, which uses running as a key component to help combat homelessness and to transform lives. We'll meet Annie in a few minutes, but first let's start with some race reports. I'm gone. For a race report on the Cursa dels Nasos in uh, Barcelona, Spain on uh, December 31st of 2019, I want to welcome Bobby Marinelli of the Baltimore Pacemakers to the podcast. Thanks for coming on, Bobby. Hey, Glenn. Thanks so much for having me. I love this. Yeah, I've been wanting to get you on here for a while and you've given me a good excuse. So uh, Barcelona... Uh, on December 31st for a race. How did you get yourself into this one? Well, it's it's actually pretty funny. Um, my family, we decided we were going to go away for the holiday and we, you know, my kids are growing up and this might be the last vacation we take kind of as a family unit. And we decided we we're going to go somewhere fun. Our friends have retired to Barcelona. They keep bugging us to come visit. So we let them know we're coming between Christmas and New Year's, and they said, oh, geez, uh, we're going to be in the States, but you can stay in our place. So we kind of hurried up and put together an itinerary of what we wanted to see in Barcelona. And um, while I was getting ready, I decided to scour the internet and see if I could find maybe a running group or some recommended running routes. And I found a few. And I, you know, just for, I was like, well, what the heck? Let me see if there's a race. That would be kind of fun to do. And found this one, uh, Cursus del Nas, Del Nasos, um, which is Catalan for the, the run of the, a race of the noses. And uh, it was, I found I was New Year's Eve. We're going to be there. My family was very com- uh, accommodating and setting our schedule so I could do it. My son said he'd like to join me. So I muddled through the application online because, of course, it's not doesn't necessarily translate easily into English and things weren't as readily apparent to me as they should be. A little bit of back and forth with the race organizer and uh, I got us signed up and uh, we decided we we're going to go do it. So it was it was a lot of fun. 
Yeah, uh, definitely sounds like a cool thing to do. Uh, and again, it's on December 31st, uh, you know, just before the new year. And uh, from what I understand, it was kind of a late afternoon or evening race. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about the race experience, uh, you know, and what, what it was like out there? Sure. Well, actually, I, I did want to tell you kind of what I found out about the race because I, you know, entered a race, but I also want to know, like, what is this? Um, Cursus del Nasos is not Spanish. It's Catalan, which is their, that the region of Spain in which you find Barcelona is Catalonia, and that's their native tongue. And it's based on a, a folklore legend of um, Lom del Nasos, which is the man of many noses. Um, by the way, Catalan is actually a lot more like French than Spanish, it turns out. And this guy supposedly, um, whenever he comes out of the house, he has the number of noses of days left in the calendar year. So on New Year's Day, he'd come out, he'd have 365 noses, and he's embarrassed, he's ashamed. So he doesn't come out, and uh, he only comes out on New Year's Eve when he has that one nose left and uh, gives candy to children and things like that. So they've, they've started this race, and I'm actually, I should know, but I don't know how many times they've run it, but it's been run a bunch. So it's not a new race. Um, but like you said, it was evening. It was 5.30 start. And it was getting dark about that time. Um, they had It was just spectacular. They, they were so organized. Um, there were people from all over Europe there, a little more than 10,000 runners. Um, so they had the corrals all set up on this one street, stretching way, way back. And lots of music playing. And there were lasers and fireworks firing off. My son, I said, he's 21, he agreed to run with me, and he hasn't done any training, but he's 21, and you know how that goes. He can run like a rabbit. He, uh, they, they start the race, and it's dark, and there's lasers and fireworks, um, and I'm, I'm just picking what I think would be a nice pace to run with him where we can converse at least, and uh, after the fact, he told me that he was really struggling to keep up. He realized how out of shape he was. Um, but about mile five, he said, uh, how much we, how much do we have left? I look at my watch. I said, we got a little over a mile left. And he said, okay, I'll catch you at the finish. And he took off like he had a whole other gear. So it's one of those where, you know, he just doesn't know how fast he is, how much he's got in the tank. Um, but it, it, it was a lot of fun. It was, it was a little chilly. It was about, I guess it was in the upper forties when we started, there was a light breeze but you start in this neighborhood called um, El Pobleno and run along the Mediterranean Sea at night. That's what they created for the 92 Olympics. And then we ducked into town and ran through the streets. Um, and it was funny because, you know, in comparison to, to races around here, there, there are police officers at every intersection blocking traffic. And there's, you know, saw horses set up. And there was none of that. They, it just, the whole the whole area just knows the race is going on. There were no police blocking traffic. It just, people stopped. They got out of their cars. Um, a lot of cheering, a lot of fan support, a lot of spectators. It was a lot of fun. Um, people wearing these little rubber noses to signify that they were in support of the race of the noses. And um, it was real. it was spectacular. It was one of my, probably one of the most fun races I've ever run. Yeah, it definitely sounds like uh, you know had a real fun atmosphere. Uh, I assume this is a race that's a little bit more of just a race that people do for fun than uh, 
like a seriously competitive race, uh, you know, like a, a major marathon or something like that. It sounds like more of a celebration race. It is. It, well, well, yeah, I think it is, at least for people like me. But, you know, I know I'm real. I mean, the the uh, the first place runner ran it in just under 29 minutes. So it's not it's not a slouch race You're running a 10K in in 28.52, I see. So, you know, it was definitely serious, but it was a festive atmosphere. Um, and unfortunately for my son, it was kind of funny. This is what I thought was the most, one of the nicest things that we found in, in Barcelona and with this race as well, is everybody was so friendly and accommodating and kind. I misread an email. Of course, I'm translating from Catalan to Spanish to English and back and forth. And I, I misread an email and my son and I missed packet pickup. We show up at the race, believing that packet pickup was still possible the hour before the race, and it turns out it wasn't. They did find our bibs. I didn't want to look like one of those people who's abandoning a race, but uh, they found our bibs. We gave them to us. We had no chips. And then um, after the race, they said there were no more shirts, or and we had ordered a jacket as well to go with it. And we were a little disappointed, but, you know, hey, it was my fault. I misread an email. And then in talking with my wife about it, I decided, well, let me just send an email and just say, if there are any leftovers, if you find any, I'd love to have one. And the guy got right back to me and said, well, you know, on Saturday, if you're still here in town, I will have a bag for you at Sportiva, which is down on the coast. So my Saturday morning run, in honor of the pacemaker Saturday morning run, I, I ran from our apartment down there. And they, they knew I was coming. They had a bag ready for me. They had both shirts. They took them out, made sure they were acceptable. They were just so, so very kind and just very welcoming. I, I would say this is, this is a race I would highly recommend to anyone. I mean, if you're heading that way, definitely check it out. Yeah, it definitely sounds like, uh, you know, a real fun race. And, uh, you know, obviously that's an awesome experience that they were, you know, willing to, be so helpful uh, in a situation where they didn't really have to be, but they just wanted to be. And it seems like, uh, you know, uh, that's, that's just a, a part of their culture there. And uh, did you get to interact with uh, many of the other runners while you were out there or did the language barrier sort of get in the way? The language barrier got in the way, but there's that unspoken kind of, you know, there just, there was some, you know, people were checking on each other. Um, I know there was one guy who in front of us seemed to be struggling and I'm not sure what nationality he was. He didn't respond to what I believe was Catalan. He didn't respond to Spanish. He didn't respond to English when people, people were going by asking him if he was okay. So then of course it reverts to kind of a puzzled look with a thumbs up, like, Hey, are you okay? And he kind of gave a thumbs up and he muddled on and I did see him come in at the finish. I think he just, he just, that was, that was his running, but it, it, there, there was a camaraderie. There was a lot of, um, a lot of support in that way. Yeah. Well, that's fantastic. Uh, again, the world over runners are just some of the best people. So it's good to see that that translates over, uh, regardless of language. Bobby, thanks so much for coming on to share about this. Uh, what do you have coming up next? Um, you know, I'm, I'm just trying to maintain a base at this point, aiming for a fall marathon, hoping for a BQ. Um, of course, what I'll be looking is to try and tag along with you and you can drag me along and help me get faster. Sounds good, Bobby. I'll tie a rope to myself and we'll make it happen. <laughs> Sounds like a plan, Glenn. All right. Thanks again. You're very welcome. Thanks you. Thank you.
for a race report on the Dirty Bird 30K, which was run on Sunday, uh, January 5th of 2020, I'm uh, bringing Catherine Field Flowers back onto the podcast. Catherine, thanks for coming on. Hi, Glenn. Thanks for having me back. Oh, it's a pleasure having you. And again, the last time we chatted with you, you had just come off of a series of half marathons uh, and really been doing a lot on your road running. Uh, but then recently, you know, really month of December and into January, you've been focusing much more on the trails. Uh, what made you want to switch over to trail running uh, after all that road running? Um, well, I've always really loved getting out on the trails, but I've been hesitant to do it while I was training for a bigger road race, just because I get a little bit scared of injuring myself or you know, falling, turning an ankle, things like that. So once I was done with all of my like major races for 2019, I just wanted to kind of take a step back and get back into just loving running again and really not training for anything in particular. Um, also, Coach Buddy has been training for his 50K. Um, he's doing the Ultra Keg with BRC in April. So I've kind of been just kind of piggybacking on his training. He's been going out on Saturday mornings doing these long trail runs. And it's just a good opportunity to go out and, you know, be with a group of friends and go on some trails that I'm not super familiar with. Um, I don't have the best sense of direction. So I don't go out by myself on the trails. I make sure I'm always with somebody and with buddy doing his training it's just a great excuse to tag tag along and get out there on the trails again yeah and there's definitely been a good group uh, of you know anywhere from two or three to five or six uh folks including you buddy missy ken myself on occasion uh and randy uh and um bruce all going out uh you know trying out different trails in december and january but, uh, you know, your real running mate here is Missy. You know, she talked you into doing that half marathon with you. And now she talked you into this Dirty Bird 30K. So uh, what did you know about this race going in? And uh, why did you two uh, decide to do this one together? Honestly, I really didn't know anything about it going in. Um, I didn't even sign up for it until about a week ahead, of, a week before the race. Um, we were out on one of our long Saturday runs and Buddy said he was going out of town that week. So I said, oh, I guess we don't, we're not running next week, are we? And Missy said, well, I'm doing this 30K next week. Why don't you sign up with me? And I'm like, okay, why not? So it really didn't take a lot of convincing. I just, it sounded like a fun thing to do in the moment. Um, it was a little bit farther away than I probably would have picked to go by myself. It was up in Pennsylvania. It was about a two hour drive. But, you know, when you're going with a friend and it's a little bit more fun than doing it by yourself. So I went home from our run that day and I got online. I found the registration link and before you know it, I was signed up. So we like to blame it all on Missy, but I think she's a good influence. She gets us out there and makes us kind of get out of our little comfortable boxes and do things that we wouldn't normally do without her urging us on. Yeah, it's definitely good to have somebody uh, sort of pushing us to try new things. So uh, what kind of, uh, you know, what did you experience out there on the course? Uh, you know, was it sort of different kind of trails than you had done before or a lot of vertical gain? You know, what was it like out there? It was similar to what we've been doing here. We've been you know, running around the gunpowder and like Jerusalem Mill, um, 
Craven Reservoir, you know, I've gone back to Cromwell Valley Park. So I'm familiar with the ones around here. Um, from what Missy told me that she'd done this race about two years ago, she said it wasn't quite as hilly as what we do around here, which wasn't true. Um, it turned out to be a little bit hillier than she had remembered it being. Um, but it was a really nice course. It was out in Pennsylvania, in Birdsboro, Pennsylvania, which I'm not sure if that maybe has something to do with the name. Um, in French Creek State Park, um, it was a really, really big state park. It was really hard to find the registration area. We got a little bit lost getting there, but once we found it, everything was well organized. Um, but it was a pretty low-key race. There was only about 300 people in it they had a 15k which was one loop and then they had the 30k which was two loops so about out of 300 people only about 80 people did the 30k so <clears throat> it was kind of a chilly day maybe like in the 30s in the high of 40 really really windy but once we got like in the woods and you know with the cover of the trees the wind didn't seem to bother us as much just the starting line was pretty miserable but once we started moving it was better um it was a lot of single trail track um a lot of rocks um look pretty technical there were some like fire roads some just paved road crossing a little bit easier running but it was pretty much the same as what we run here i guess as far as elevation and roots and trees and no steam no stream crossings which was good because missy likes to fall in streams um but nobody got wet that day um we did the first loop like i said it was two loops of the 15k the first loop felt pretty good about six miles in we reached this really really big hill that just felt like it was about a mile long i think according to my garmin it was probably like three quarters of a mile but it just felt like we were never going to reach the top of this thing um and then we crossed the i guess start finish line to start the second loop stopped and used the port potties and grabbed some goodies off of the food table and kept going which i've never really done this type of race where you have to cross the start line again and start over again um so that was a little new it's i tend to be better when I do out and back or you just don't have a chance of bailing out you know what I mean um so crossing that start line again it's a little daunting knowing like you just did this really hard race and now you got to do it again um but the second loop we started off pretty strong and I got a little tired and it was a lot more challenging the second time around just because I was getting tired I'd never run this distance before the longest I've ever done before is a half marathon and on the trails, I'd only done 12 miles um, at a time. Um, but it was a lot less crowded that second time around. We really didn't see many people out there at all. I think we passed about five people. Uh, more towards the end as we were getting tired and other people were getting tired. And I was trying to run and Missy's trying to run. And she's just saying, let's go, let's go. And I'm trying to walk and getting really tired and sore I found out I definitely need new trail shoes um but that was one thing that really surprised me too is just how sore I got out there um and like I said I've never run that distance before and you know, especially on the trails my just the whole body was achy all my muscles I could feel them going down hills I could feel my legs I'm going uphill I could feel my lower back 
when I get home, I even felt like my abs and my obliques and everything just was sore. Never really used those muscles before running. Um, but we managed to finish it in about four hours, 17 minutes. We were not last, but we were pretty close. We were 72nd and 73rd out of those 80 people. Um, but we weren't out there to win it. We just wanted to finish it. We wanted to use it as a training race and just kind of get our fitness level up on the trails. And by the time we reached the finish area, there really wasn't many people hanging around anymore because, you know, it was still cold and windy. But at that point, we just wanted to sit down, get something to eat, change our clothes into something warm and go home. Um, but, you know, all in all, it was a pretty good race. Um, you know, I wish we could have done it a little bit faster, but, you know, it was my first race of that kind. So I really wasn't out there for time, um, you know, looking at other people's times. I don't like to compare myself to others because I always say my only competition is myself. I just want to do better than I did last time. But, you know, when I look at other people's times, it just kind of pushes me to train a little bit harder and get a little bit better and know that it's possible to go a little bit faster out there next time. Um, I did start to feel a little bit sick on the way home. I think I was just dehydrated. I really didn't drink as much as I should have. But, you know, I think I get fooled when it's cold out. I don't think I'm going to sweat as much, and I don't really take the fluid loss into account. But I definitely was a little bit dry. And once I started drinking some more water and everything, I felt a little bit better and, you know, came home and, just rested for the rest of the day and luckily I wasn't super sore the next day just a little bit of like achiness in my knees and my legs but I really felt a lot better than I thought I would the next day so ready to get out there and do it again well and I guess that's the most important thing I mean it sounds like uh I mean again you came into this with all you though you'd been doing some trail training uh prior to this it wasn't like you did it with a this race in mind or this distance in mind you pushed to a new distance learned a few things along the way and it sounds like uh you know you'll be ready for that next long race i mean you know at 18 miles that that's uh that's a pretty good day uh and you know you're not really all that far from a 50k so do we see a 50k <laughs> or uh out on the trails in your future then um I think I need a lot more training before I hit the 50K. Right now, I'm going to just stick with the 25K for a little while and, you know, just see where I go. Well, that sounds awesome. Uh, did you have any 25Ks uh, that you're looking to uh, here later in the spring or sometime later in 2020? Yeah, well, I actually have next weekend, I have Funt. Um, I'm going to be doing the 25K in that, and then I'll be doing the Ultra Keg as well with BRC in April. I'm going to do the 25K with that as well. Um, and then I think there's just some other BRC races that are a little bit shorter, like the Super Bowl and, you know, I think Pretty Boy. They're eight miles and maybe like five or six miles. I'll be definitely doing that. Any chance I can get, I'll be going out on the trails, but... I think a 50K is a little bit farther away right now. But, Unless yeah, perhaps I think eventually Missy... I'll be able to do it, but not right now. I, I think if Missy tries to talk you into it, you might be able to be convinced, though. What do you think? Probably. I'm usually not too hard to convince. I just got to 
sometimes it's just the self-confidence. I got to build it up and realize that I physically can do it. Yeah, it might hurt a little while, but I can do it. I just think I need a little bit more training. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, congratulations on, you know, this big effort up there at the Dirty Bird 30K and uh, good luck with Funt next weekend. Thank you. For a race report on the Frozen Finger 5-Miler, which was run on Saturday, January 11th of 2020, I want to welcome Dan Farrell of BRRC to the podcast. Thanks for coming on, Dan. Hey, Glenn. Happy to be here. Glad you asked to join the show. Yeah, absolutely, man. Uh, you know, I met you a little while back at uh, some BRRC functions, and uh, you know, and then all of a sudden during this race, uh, you know, I, I hear somebody come up behind me and say, hey, will you pace me? Of course, I was wearing a, a pacer singlet at the time, and there you were, and you know, we ran together quite a while. Uh, it was a good race out there, but uh, this is your first time running it. What made you decide to run the Frozen Finger 5-Miler this year? Uh, sure. So uh, the first, uh, so two real reasons. The first was BRRC, who put on the race. Uh, I think it's a fantastic organization, really helps bring together the Baltimore running community. Um, and they put on a lot of races throughout the year that are either free or small donation. And this was one of them. Um, the second was my wife and I wanted to go for a run. And this race was a great opportunity to get in a fast five miles while, while one of us pushed the stroller. Oh, that's awesome, man. And, uh, you know, the course is, uh, is sort of an accessible course uh, for, you know, pushing a stroller, you know, uh, good park roads and, you know, not too much uh, hill in there. Uh, and uh, it wasn't really a frozen finger five miler this year. I mean, it, I was in a a singlet and shorts and uh you know most people were similarly attired but uh yeah for four dollars we did pretty well on uh premiums i think i got a pair of the the arm sleeves uh, uh what did you pick up yeah so we got two ear warmers so yeah for four bucks get going home with some ear warmers uh not a bad day yeah and with snacks and timing and all that it was a pretty nice race so uh we, we were going at a pretty good clip there, uh, that first mile. Uh, I think I might have taken it out a little bit too hard. Uh, you know, how did you feel about uh, your race experience out there? Um, so, yeah, very fast um, out, out front. So uh, we lined up. We were a couple, peop- a couple rows deep to start the race. Um, I've had some pretty scattered training over the last couple months, um, 15 to 20 miles per week. Um, the good news is I've gotten some quality workouts in there, even though it's very low mileage, but, um, from my perspective, we went out very fast, um, like 20 seconds faster than my, my last 5k fast. Um, so, uh, after the first mile, I was, uh, really just waiting to see what was going to happen. Um, so, uh, uh, about a half mile in or so there was an out and back that like the whole course was flat, but there was a very slight downhill going out. As we and then we went around this small turn and then very slight uphill um, coming out of that out and back and uh, I made a concerted effort to slow down really try and run my own race just because I was really afraid of blowing up at that point with with how fast we were going so um, I was I was really not sure the pace I was going to be able to go at but um, uh, yeah I tucked right behind you your, your shirt said pacer on it and I thought that was a great idea so um, went out fast and, and really just tried to hold on throughout the race. Yeah, I didn't mind pacing you there. We actually had a pretty good group of uh, me, you, and uh, Katie Brooks, who's a veteran uh, roadrunner, really fast. Uh, we stuck together. I think 
at least through the the two and a half mile turnaround uh, towards mile three, we were per- together pretty well. But uh, you were running a little bit stronger there. Um, you may have had some quality workouts. My mileage has been low and of poor quality. Uh, <laughs> you know, through uh, you know, kind of this post marathon, uh, you know, recovery period and the early, you know early January things have been busy at work. So mm-hmm. I, I was just went out there and I did what I normally do, which is go out without a plan and just see, see what I can do on the day. But, uh, uh, it ended up being a really fast race. Uh, a lot of really great racers out there. We had Jeremy Ardenoy coming in, in the, uh, in the top spot, uh, mm-hmm. Lance Dockery, uh, second guy stuck with him for um, through the turnaround. I think Jeremy started to, uh, to, to get gap him a little bit there, but, he was with him most of the way, and uh, Nick Lestava was out there, M- Megan DiGregorio, a lot of really great uh, and savvy racers out there. Uh, so it was, it was a good crew out there. Uh, so I, I came in, uh, my PR at the five-miler was actually at this race four years ago uh, on a similarly warm day, and I think I bested that time by about a minute 50 some. Uh, so it was a big wow. PR for me. So I was very happy in the end, even though I definitely didn't have the same uh, strength at the end that I had in those, uh, first mile or two. Uh, and I was definitely, you know, I was trying to catch up with you coming up that last little hill and that, uh, but no, it wasn't going to happen. I just didn't have that finishing kick, but, uh, how'd you, uh, come in at the end? Well, so just before we get to that, um, I I was shocked that I was going to be able to keep up with you after your marathon marathon time. And I found out after the race as to why looking at your Strava, you ran five miles before the five mile race. Well, yeah, I did. I, I, I felt that that loosened me up anyway, but, uh, you're right. I did. Uh, that was like the, I ended up doing 12 total did two afterwards, but yeah, I did a little five mile, war- five, five and a half mile warm up beforehand. So, but I didn't go out real hard at that point. I don't feel like that was the reason why I didn't have it at the end. It was uh, poor race strategy. There's no reason why I should have uh, gone out in like six thirty or so. That's uh, <laughs> for me, that's a suicidal pace, but uh, you know, I just, I don't race at that top end. I'm, I'm better at, at keeping a, uh, uh, you know, a reasonable pace for a long time, but that top end speed just isn't one of my fortes. Gotcha. Um, so yeah, it, the, the race, um, so the, we talked about the turnaround a little bit. That was my favorite part. Um, I haven't done too many of these Baltimore races and just as we were running towards the turnaround, you and Katie were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Talking to, to all of the, the runners that you knew, everyone was cheering each other on. So that, that was, that was by far my favorite part of the race. Um, as far as finishing up, um, at, at about three and a half miles, my heart rate monitor fell off, which was interesting, but probably for the best for me just to, to focus on just breathing and, and finishing as strong as I could. Um, with it being a five mile race, not too long, um, I was just focused on getting to the finish and uh, luckily was able to without without dropping the pace at the end. So again, very happy. It was a PR for myself as well. I'm pretty shocked with the time. Um, so uh, great race and just hope to build off of it throughout the year. Yeah, with that in mind, uh, did you have any races uh, that were coming up for you, uh, things that you're looking forward to in the winter or early spring? Uh, yeah, so I, I think my, my my goal this year is really to follow the, the Baltimore Roadrunner Club circuit. Um, so I'll, I'll be doing the Super Bowl 8-miler in Caramel Valley Park in February, um, and I'm just going to be racing as much as I can. Um, that, that's a big change for me. I'm usually a, a one or two big race kind of guy, but uh, I'm just going to see how it how it goes for me racing a lot of smaller races throughout the year and 
hopefully I pick up some speed along the way. Well, that sounds good, Dan. Well, we'll definitely have to check in with you later in the year and uh, see how that uh, packed racing schedule is going then. So thanks for coming on. Sounds great. Thanks a lot, Glenn. Since the day you walked out, I've been wondering why it's in the late In our new segment called The Why, uh, bringing on runners to share their motivation for why they run, uh, you know, what makes them get up in the morning and go out for the long runs and uh, to do all these races that other people think we're crazy for doing. So uh, in that spirit, I'm going to share my motivation to run in uh, this installment. So why would anyone want to run? This is a question that I asked myself for most of my life as I saw friends joining the track team in high school or when people jogged through campus during my college years. I dreaded every conditioning run for team sports in high school, especially a full tour of the school campus, which I now realize must have been less than a mile but seemed impossibly long at the time. The only reason that I could see for running was to help someone to get into shape. I've battled with my weight since I was about 10 years old. Although I lived a very active life through team sports and in working around the house on my parents' property, my eating habits and lack of portion control caused me to get a little chunky. Playing team sports kept my weight from getting completely out of control through high school, but college was another story. I quickly put on the freshman 15, and the sophomore 15, and the junior 15 or more until I found myself over 240 pounds and struggling to climb stairs and struggling to find pants in my closet that fit. I tried to start running as a way to help me to get into better shape, and it did help, but it was not a habit that stuck. I ran by myself, and I never really enjoyed it, but I never really expected to. Running was my self-inflicted punishment for allowing myself to get this way, just as it had been my punishment from coaches for missed blocks or tackles as a football player. Once I lost some weight, I was free from this punishment, so I stopped running. Over the years between my early 20s and mid-30s, I started and stopped a running routine on a few occasions, always with the same goal in mind, to help me to get into shape. More than anything else, I didn't want to be like my father, whose weight had led to health problems that resulted in his needing to retire earlier than most people and not to be able to fully enjoy his retirement. My attitude towards uh, running changed a bit as I reached age 35 and I had just reached the end of a season of coaching high school baseball. I was active again, and countless hours of coaching my athletes had trimmed off a few pounds. In a conversation with Joe, my colleague and assistant coach, he revealed that he was planning to bicycle home after the school year ended. Joe grew up in Oregon, so cycling home would require a journey of over 3,000 miles across the country in the dead of summer. As I watched him dip the back wheel of his bicycle in the inner harbor and set off on a journey that would end 49 days later with a wheel dipped in the Pacific Ocean, I started to wonder what my body was capable of. If Joe was capable of biking across the country, surely I was capable of running a 5K or something. I had only one, run one race before, a five-miler in Boston in my early 20s that ended at a beloved bar in my sister's neighborhood that was primarily motivating me uh, with the promise of post-race Samuel Adams. I decided to run in the 2015 Baltimore Running Festival, but I decided that I need a bigger challenge than the 5K. I decided not only uh, to enter the team relay, but I also decided to raise money and participate in a team fundraising uh, for Mercy's Heated to Beat It campaign for peritoneal cancer research and treatment. While I was very motivated to help support a worthy cause, I also realized that I might need more accountability than just to run for myself. 
I could quit on myself, as I had done so many times before, but I would not stop training or drop out of this race if others were counting on me. The summer was long and hot, and my training rarely topped 10 miles a week, but I could feel myself getting stronger. Once I reached the impossibly long distance of 5 miles, I decided I was ready for a group. I joined in on my first pacemaker's run and ran my longest run to date, and then the next week I returned and ran 3 miles longer than that. I was completely hooked and I have never really quit running since. I found during the relay also that I really enjoyed running in races as I seemed to gain strength and motivation from running with others and by competing, which I hadn't done in a long time. I also surprised myself and ran faster than I ever had before. My new reason to run was to push myself and to see how fast and far I could go. After a great 2016 running season that was capped by the completion of my first marathon, my next two years of running was hindered by a battle with Lyme disease that made running very painful. I continued running so that I wouldn't lose my connection to my new community of friends and socialization that had become such an important part of my life at that point. I was motivated to stay strong so that I could get back to running shape that I had briefly enjoyed and to run without pain again. Once 2019 began, I was really ready to run again. 2019 was in many ways the best and the worst year of my life. I set new PRs for the 400 meters, the mile, 5K, 10 mile, half marathon, marathon, and yearly distance. I started and maintained a podcast allowing me to hear and share many wonderful stories from outstanding local runners. On the other hand, I spent countless hours and days in hospitals and at home helping my wife to fight for her life while her body was attacking anything that entered her body, from allergy shots to certain foods to contact with rubbery products and even a wasp sting. Four times I watched her struggling against the tube that was needed to protect her airway after it began to close. Uh, it, I, uh, I watched her struggle to regain her mobility after each of her two hip replacements that had provided blessed relief from debilitating pain that plagued her for most of the last decade. Through it all, she has fought to get stronger to be able to do things that most people take for granted, like doing laundry and to be able to walk around Target to do the shopping. With every reason to take some rest, including the advice of her doctors, she does as much as she can each day based on what her body will allow. I have gained great inspiration from her strength and determination and have gained a new reason to run. I run for Amy. I run to be the healthiest and strongest person that I can so that I'm ready to help her when she needs it. I run to reduce stress so that I can be a loving, happy, and present spouse when we are together. I also run because I can. Amy was a track runner in high school and now struggles just to be able to breathe after completing light chores and shopping. When I am late in a race and I'm struggling to keep up my pace. I am not sure that I can keep running. I repeat my mantra and gain strength from the strongest person I know. I run for Amy. Before we get to this week's interview, I want to share some ways that you can connect with the show. You can follow the show on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching for the Running Around Baltimore podcast. I will be posting periodically to provide show updates and you can message me directly to share feedback on the episodes make suggestions for future guests or segments, and ask any questions. If there's an event that you'd like us to highlight, tell us about it. If there's a person that you feel the community should get to know, I'm always looking for recommendations for future guests. Also, I'm looking for people to share their reason for running in future editions of The Why, so let me know if that interests you, and we'll set it up. We also have a show website at runningaroundbmore.wixsite.com podcast. There you will find links to the episodes on all the different podcast sites, 
and key information about each episode. Also, it would be greatly appreciated if you'd subscribe to the show and write a review on your preferred podcast service. If you like what we're doing, tell your friends about it on social media or when you're out on your next group run. I really appreciate all of your support. I couldn't do any of this without you. Without further interruption, let's get to this week's interview. For this week's interview, I'll be speaking with Dr. Annie Neuror. She is a doctor of physical therapy and is the biomotion specialist with the Rubin Institute Rudding Injury Program at Sinai Hospital. She also runs with Back on My Feet. Annie, welcome to the Rudding Rail Baltimore podcast. Hey, Glenn. Thank you for having me. This is my first time doing something like this, so this is kind of cool. Oh, it's a pleasure having you. And, and honestly, Annie, I've got a um, thank Instagram for this one. When I saw somebody who was following my post called the pace doctor, I had to try to figure out, you know, who would I have followed me called the pace doctor? And once I realized, uh, you know, what you do for a living and, uh, you know, definitely very interesting because every rudder ends up getting injured. It needs some advice eventually. So, uh, you know, this is, uh, something that, that sort of interested me, but, uh, let's think about how we even got to, the idea of you being the pace doctor, uh, you know, when did you started with athletics? Uh, you know, was it a big part of your life growing up? Yeah, it was, um, more so growing up. I was actually more so, um, a soccer player than anything else. So I did a lot of different sports growing up, but soccer was pretty much my main sport. Um, and I actually started running kind of just to manage stress and stay in shape for soccer. And then I actually became a much better runner than I did a soccer player. So I kind of continued that throughout school. And uh, now I still do both. I still play soccer and I still run. Um, but, but yeah, I would say I started as a soccer player, kind of became a runner at a really young age, actually. Um, and then just kind of did both throughout, throughout growing up and, and still do both today. And, uh, you know, as you're growing up and uh, going through high school, were you pretty competitive? You know, were you pretty high level or is it more just something that, you know, filled out, you know, was kind of part of your high school experience? Uh, You know, uh, I guess how good were you? I guess that's the question. (laughs) That's a good question. So I was pretty good, actually. I was um, I started running cross country when I was an eighth grader. I actually got drafted up to the high school cross-country team because we didn't have a middle school team so I ended up being what was I I think all state for their cross-country team um or something like that and then I I went on to do high school there ran cross-country um for the same team as a freshman and again did all state I, I I was pretty dominant in those races but it was a very small um kind of like a, a private school district so it was pretty pretty small division. And then I ended up transferring um, to a much larger school and ran cross country for them because it was a little bit of a more competitive program. And I ran varsity every year I was there. Um, But once I was in a bigger school like that, I wasn't winning. I think I won 
one race and that was when I was waiting to get pulled up to varsity. So once I was, I was kind of a big fish in a small pond initially. And then I was just a small fish in a big school of better runners than myself. Yeah. And and, uh, was this in Georgia where you grew up? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yep. Okay, so there, uh, I guess, is so- what season is soccer in? Because in Maryland, soccer and cross country would run at the same time in the fall. Uh, I'm guessing they must do soccer at a different time of the year or cross country at a different time of the year there. So, so actually, I did both at the same time, which was probably oh. detrimental to my performance in both. Um, but I played year-round soccer, so I was on a travel team and Uh, I played for the school as well. So I think if I remember right, cross country was in the fall. So I would do fall cross country for my school and then club soccer after cross country practice. And then in the spring, I focused mostly on school soccer. Wow. Uh, Very busy. And uh, so, and and yeah, obviously you started in with the long distances early. Uh, You know, most of the runners that I know in the, uh, at the school where I teach, it's like, well, they like cross country, but really they're more track folks uh, because they don't really like the long distances, but it seems like you embraced it early. Uh, Did you carry on uh, with either sport through college or uh, were you more focused on uh, your academics at that point? At that point, I was a little more academic focused. I, I realized in high school that I wasn't going to get any offers from the types of schools that I wanted to go to. I wanted to go to a pretty large SEC or Southeastern Conference school. um, And I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have been able to play. I don't think at that level, I I do consider not so much for cross country, but I do consider like uh, if I had just walked on or, you know, tried to do some club team or try out for the the college team if I could have made it as a walk-on but those are kind of me just reminiscing on on what could have been but I I knew I didn't want to do cross country in college um but I was kind of on the fence about soccer but I I decided mostly to focus on school once I realized what I was going to be kind of moving forward with with my career and uh you know going into college did you know that you were you know, leading towards a career in physical therapy? Yeah, I, I pretty much, like I said, I was pretty focused on, on being a professional soccer player when I was more so starting high school. And then I realized that wasn't going to probably pan out. So I figured, well, I would like to do something that involves athletes if I can't be a professional one myself. So um, that's what kind of first initially led me into thinking about physical therapy and then I took into account the idea that I hate sitting still. So I, I knew I could pretty much rule out any sort of desk job or anything that would require prolonged sitting. So that gave a bigger push for physical therapy, which is kind of a simple reason, but it's pretty important for me on a daily basis to be moving around. So, and then I knew it was such a highly social profession and I am a pretty social person. So to me, it seemed kind of like the perfect fit of, of something I was really interested in, something that would allow me to build a lot of relationships with different types of people, and then something that would kind of keep me accountable to my own health and physical fitness as well. So it, it just seemed like a good fit in all forms. Yeah, definitely. Uh, to be able to kind of put those passions together with, with a career, uh, you know, kind of makes it easier when people say, well, if you, you know, like what you're doing, you're not really working. It, it seems like 
you know, you could marry some couple of your passions there and make it work for a career, which is awesome. Is that how you ended up in Baltimore? Uh, was it for school? It was. Yep. I, uh, I ended up coming up here for physical therapy school. I went to University of Baltimore or University of Maryland. Um, but a lot of the graduate schools and the medical school is actually located in Baltimore versus College Park. So, yep, that's kind of what how I got brought up here. Yeah, great. And yeah, of course, uh, I'm, I'm a Maryland graduate. And my wife went to to school at University of Maryland, Baltimore, my dad as well. So and of course, that's where the university actually started before College Park. There was the medical school. So uh, yeah, I did. I didn't know that until until I was there. Yeah. So then, you, you know, you grew up a runner. How did you come to specialize in running injuries? It's like a really narrow portion of your profession. That's actually a great question. Um, I had, so I basically kind of developed this sort of, I don't know if you would call it an infatuation or obsession with running. When, like I said, when I was really young, I was about nine years old when I started running distances. And so it was kind of something that was always just a big part of uh, my life and my, my habits. And when I decided to move forward with a profession, I, you know, I had, by this point, been a runner for so long myself, dealt with a couple of different injuries, met so many people who had been sidelined by injuries. And I started to notice a disconnect between healthcare professionals and runners and having kind of this idea that so many runners, I feel like are told, you know, if, if, if it hurts, just stop doing it. And there, your problem is solved. And if you know how, how a lot of runners think the idea of just stopping, you know, because something is painful is not, not typically feasible for that person, nor is it, in my opinion, the best advice either. Um, so I kind of wanted to take my career and bridge that gap as someone who can provide some insight and help keep people running at a, at a healthy dosage so that they don't hurt themselves, but also don't rob them of, of something that really enjoy doing and, and really brings them a lot of happiness throughout their life for whatever reason, you know, they're pursuing it. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, I would definitely be one of those runners that, uh, would not want to be told to stop running. Uh, you know, and I, I went through like a two year bout, uh, with, uh, uh, knee swelling, uh, as a result mm -hmm. of Lyme disease. And it took, a, it wasn't anything I went through physical therapy, but it wasn't something that could really be solved there. I mean, it was courses of antibiotics, but to stop running and give up the, you know, the socialization and kind of the stress release and things like that, that would have been tough, you know, yeah. to pick that up. And, and for a runner who truly is injured, just stopping running might lessen the pain but then what happens when they start running again and they start doing the same exact thing uh that caused the pain to begin with uh they, they haven't really solved a problem you've just pushed it down the line right uh, exactly so uh what's the most common reason why runners end up uh you know in your clinic over there at sinai their knees <laughs> um definitely their knees so that's typically the most commonly injured body part in runners it takes the brunt of most of the force that happens when you when you run we see we see a couple other things i mean we see you know low back pain hip pain achilles tendonitis things like that um but i would say the vast majority is is symptoms that kind of present like you know patellofemoral pain or it band syndrome things like that that are just kind of annoyance you know especially for distance runners 
it's almost inevitable that eventually someone's gonna, you know, if you're training long enough, you'll, you may get some form of knee pain at some point during your training, whether it's, whether it's serious or not is kind of to be determined based on, on how you look when we do your eval. But yeah, knees are, knees are the, the main culprit, I would say. What are we doing wrong? (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's, I love, I, I nerd out so much about runners and running injuries and, and mechanics. And there's so much research on running and running injury development and why it happens. And it's, it's, we still don't know, in my opinion, there's still, you know, there's still so many different conflicting ideas. There's a couple, in my opinion, consistencies. Um, one is almost always kind of related to ground reaction force and, and, and the way in which you're landing or where your foot is in, in relation to your body can play a lot of role in that. Um, a lot of people will argue, you know, heel striking versus forefoot striking. Heel strikers tend to have more knee pain. Um, I can't necessarily say that's always true. I can say that typically heel strikers will have more forces at their knees versus someone who runs on the front of their foot. Um, and, and honestly, the biggest thing that is, I think, a problem for everybody is overtraining and going into something just super pumped about, you know, running your first marathon or running your first half or your first 5k and just going out really fast and really strong and then really overdoing it and not realizing the importance of, of sleep, of caloric intake, of cross training, of, you know, all these little nuances that should be accompanying your running, but you're just so excited about the run itself that you kind of let these things go to the wayside. And I would say that's the biggest thing, which is actually fairly easy to treat is, is overtraining and the results of what happens when, when someone falls into that. Yeah. So that was actually getting one of my next questions was what could we do? You know, what could most runners do? I mean, obviously I know that you're not going to be able to give medical advice over the, uh, the podcast, to to unseen patients that, uh, without knowing <laughs> their situation, but, uh, just in general, what, what do you, are most runners not doing that they could do to sort of limit kind of the most typical overuse, uh, or stress related running injuries? Uh, you know, what's something that runners just do a bad job of that if they could make that change, uh, they might not end up in your clinic. I think the biggest thing they can do is, is take rest days. Um, I've met a lot of runners and a lot of my competitive runners who feel like they need to run, you know, five to six to maybe even seven days a week. Seven's a little overcut. I rarely meet someone who wants to run seven days a week, but I have met a lot of runners who, when they train, they run five to six days a week and they're, you know, they're high mileage runs sometimes and they're doing back to back days of, you know, they're doing a 13 one day and a 16 the next. And I, I understand that there's a lot of training programs out there that will actually split your long run in half to, between two days. Um, but for me, I think the biggest mistake I see people do is just the frequency, meaning the amount of days they run in the week is just too many. Um, and another thing that I see a lot of is that people never really, not never, but they they don't really complement their training with either a strength training component or a core training component or something that's different, whether it be swimming, yoga, 
weightlifting, something that's going to just challenge their body in a little bit more of a dynamic way so that the, you know, the definition of an overuse injury is just you're using the same muscles and the same loading forces over and over again. You never change it. And there's so many other ways to keep your fitness up and to keep your strength up that, that don't entail running. Um, so I think that's usually what I, I find is I have to tell people, I'm not telling them, you know, well, you shouldn't be running. I'm just saying, well, you shouldn't be running this many days in a week. Can you, can you hop on the bike? Can you do a spin class? Can you get in the pool? Can you, you know, work with a trainer to get a little stronger? So I would say the, the frequency of, of their training is what I see most people make mistakes with. Yeah, I, I think that's pretty solid advice. Uh, you're not telling them not to run. You're just telling them to do something else uh, so right. that the body uh, is, you know, not getting, you know, just doing the same thing over and over again and stressing the same muscles, same, uh, you know, same parts each time, you know, do something a little bit different. You still get that stress release or, you know, you can still join together with groups of people and do things, but it doesn't always have to be running. Right. That's good. So, Annie, uh, what do you think is the biggest myth that people have about running injuries? Um, I think one of the biggest myths is is in relation to shoes and and people believing that shoes are kind of the the sole contributor to either them getting better or them getting worse. Um, and that's not to say that shoes don't play a role in someone's developing of an injury, but I think that they're given way too much credit. Um, and there's been you know, a lot of research done on different types of shoes and how they impact people's, you know, running and things like that. But I, I haven't really seen that. It's definitely usually comes down to a little bit more of a mechanics thing versus, versus what's on their feet. Yeah. Uh, so I get those pink Nikes. I'm not all of a sudden going to break a speed record. Right. Right. And that's the other thing. I have a lot of patients come in. They ask if they switch a shoe, if it's going to you know, make them a whole lot faster. And I, 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 I don't really find that to be the case either. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so let's talk about your clinic. Uh, you know, what do you do at the clinic, uh, to get people back on the road? Like what are sort of the things that people would go through, um, you know, to sort of diagnose their, their running injuries and, uh, and help them, uh, you know, improve their running and their health. So it kind of depends on what exactly is bringing them in. Um, if they're someone who is a current runner, they're running fairly regularly, um, but they continue to have kind of a flare-up of a problem, then we typically can do what's our, what our standard running evaluation is. And usually what that is is it takes about an hour or so. And what we do is we, we hook the runner up to some sensors and we – actually video them running as well. So you get basically a kind of a video gait assessment in which we watch different things. We slow things down. We look for um, different um, tendencies that we know can kind of lead to certain injuries. And then the sensors themselves actually are used to look at things like ground reaction force, um, your turnover time or how fast you're you know, going from hitting the ground to taking off and a couple other metrics that are just impossible to see no matter how much you slow down the video. And then the third part is, is pretty much like a, a standard physical therapy evaluation, something that you could, you would probably get in, in another clinic, meaning they look at your strength, your joint mobility, your flexibility of your muscles, things like that. So 
in my opinion, it's, it's, it's a really unique process. I think the, I think the technology that we use is actually really cool. And I'm, I'm of the belief that, you know, technology is going to be one of the things that really helps us kind of determine what is causing a lot of the same type of running injuries to occur and how to kind of effectively diagnose and treat them. Um, And technology is getting so much more mobile so that, you know, patients can actually, you know, wear certain types of, of motion active systems and, and, and kind of monitor themselves and you can monitor them from afar. So I think the way that technology is moving with running analysis is pretty, pretty exciting. And I think we have some pretty cool tools at our disposal. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, do you find that uh, gait, uh, you know, I, I've definitely been interested in gait analysis thing myself, knowing that I've had some imbalances and some of that was caused from, you know, somebody is favoring one side to avoid a, you know, a tender area or an injury, and then they end up messing up their gait. Uh, you know, trying to compensate. Uh, do you feel like most people have a little bit of an uneven gait uh, when you do the analysis? Um, it depends. It depends on how long they've been running with a problem. Um, usually, so we have we have a lot of patients who come also postoperatively. So um, some of our our more sports oriented patients will come after ACL reconstructions or things like that, where you're kind of expecting this huge asymmetry. Um, and the, typically the sensors will pick that up, which is nice because it gives the patient kind of some objective data so that we can retest them, you know, six weeks or, or even six months down the line and see, you know, if their symmetry has improved. Um, if it's, if it's a very minimal thing that the patient is reporting that they feel in all honesty, a lot of times the the technology won't pick it up. And even sometimes I won't pick that up. And, and, you know, there's a lot of, I think, intricacies in someone's own opinion of how they run themselves. So I do have some runners kind of obsess over certain things that in all honesty, I just don't see (laughs) them happening. So I try to take into account too, that these, these intricacies may be appearing way further into their run than what I'm seeing. Um, and I try to kind of put myself in their shoes and think, okay, well, what are they reporting to me is happening and what do I think could be causing that and what's something that they could do um, almost like preventatively to not have that happen or to respond in an effective way. What's something that could change just in the quick um, moments to see if, if it can just change their symptoms kind of on the fly. Right. I mean, and it sounds like from what you said earlier that you don't feel like there's like a, you know, an ideal running form that everybody has to adopt, uh, you know, that it's sort of a personal thing. And, you know, is that sort of difficult sometimes from your point of view to be able to say, okay, you need to make these changes because, you know, everyone's going to run a little bit differently based on their, you know, physical makeup and, you know, kind of their pre-existing running habits. Right. And that's, that's actually, I think another myth when you ask about, you know, myths that runners believe is that they, I have a lot of patients who come in and they've watched, you know, uh, Kip Chodra, they've watched, you know, uh, Shailene Flanagan or someone, and they want to look just like them when they run and they want that same type of kickback and they want that same four foot running strike. And they want, you know, everything that, that looks good about their running form 
for for that to happen to them and i have to kind of reassure them that that everyone is so different that you can't you really can't make someone run a certain way cuz your body type is different your joint mobility is different your strength tendencies are different your body weight is different your height is different there's so many things that go into it so we have to compare you to you versus you to you know some elite marathon or elite track star that that is just so different than than what what they may be able to get to if that makes sense yeah i mean you're not going to be able to copy the biomechanics of of somebody else and try to make it work for you yeah you might be able to buy their shoes but that's about as close right (laughs) right Right. and like i'm all for that if you want to you know if you want to market their brand and whatnot um but you know it's there's just a lot of factors that go into someone's mechanics and and you'll notice i mean i i'm a you know i do this a lot so i I constantly watch people run just even by accident. I try, I try honestly not to do it when I'm out on my runs, but it's, it's hard not to. And I see some of the craziest running patterns. I mean, one of my friends is she is so fast and she has one of the, the craziest gait patterns I've seen. Um, and, you know, I've worked with her and we've tweaked a few things just to keep her, you know, not injuring herself, but the way she runs is very efficient for her. Um, if I tried to run that way, there's, there's no way I could cover this, the speed that she does. But, um, I just, I try to get a lot of my patients to just kind of relax and find a a more comfortable version of themselves instead of trying to become a totally different runner. Actually, that brings up an interesting thought. Uh, you know, do you, you know, self-diagnose, I mean, are you out there kind of analyzing your own, uh, running gait and your own patterns based on what you've uh, learned and, and what you do with your patients? I, I have kind of geared away from that, honestly, with myself. Um, I've done, you know, I, I'm always like trying to do different little mini research projects. So when we first got the software to look at your running metrics, you know, I hooked myself up to it. I was, I think I was training for training for something and I took it on. A, I wanted to see if it could last the entire time. And I took it on, you know, at, I think a 22 miler or something. And then I went back and analyzed everything. And I was like, oh my gosh, you know, this is, I wonder what this means. What does this mean? What am I doing here? Um, I've tried to see if, you know, I went out, gone out and purchased, you know, the zero drop. Uh, minimalist, not the Vibrams, but I think they're called Zero Shoes, and, you know, spent three months or so running around in them, seeing if, you know, seeing how I adjust. I make my, make my boyfriend do pretty much all of the same <laughs> types of studies that I make myself do to see how it, how it impacts males over females, but that's more so curiosity. I usually am pretty good at, at just enjoying my run without without taking it too seriously. So you've made yourself into a test subject, but uh, not for the purpose of perfecting, but just to analyze data. That's interesting. Right. 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 All right. Uh, Well, I'm going to wrap up this portion by just asking if somebody wanted to get into, you know, maybe they've uh, just been having a chronic issue and they wanted to see how your program could, uh, you know, benefit them? How would they even find their way into your clinic? Um, probably the best way, honestly, is, is just to reach out to me directly. Um, 
and I think the best way to do that is is by email. Um, I, you know, hopefully it's not weird to give a personal email, but my work email, a lot of times things go to junk and then I see them, you know, six months later. And by that point, the person is long gone. So I email if, if, if that's okay, is my, sure. my real first name, which is Grace, G-R-A-C-E dot my last name, which is Neuror, um, N-E-U-R-O-H-R. Um, at gmail.com and that's kind of the most efficient way to get a hold of me directly um like you said the pay the the pace doctor instagram account i have i've had a couple people reach out through that or, or connect me to other people that they've had problems with um or that they you know people who have had problems connect me through there so you can just message me on that um and that's pace underscore doctor um or you can just call us at the clinic, and that that's number is 410-601-4353, and just ask to speak with Annie um, about a running evaluation, and we can kind of move forward with, with what we need from you. Uh, that's great. Well, I don't want this to just be about the pace, doctor, because you're a runner, uh, yeah. you know, and, uh, you know, you, uh, you know, it's a big part of your life as well, and I know a big part of that is your involvement with uh, Back or By Feet, so... For those who might not be as familiar, um, you know, why don't you just tell us a little bit about the group and, and what they do? Yeah, so so I joined Back on My Feet when I first moved to Baltimore. Um, I used it really just as an outlet to meet more people because I really didn't know anyone when I moved up here from Georgia, except for the people in my PT class. And that's never healthy to be <laughs> around the same people for that long of a time. So I, I joined this group and what back of my feet is in a nutshell is, is a group that basically utilizes running and running groups to help individuals who are battling drug addiction and homelessness um, to basically put a community around them and kind of a schedule of, of success. So basically what I, where I run is helping at mission, which is located off of Baltimore street and, you meet uh, Monday, Wednesday, Friday around, I think it's 5.30 in the morning, so it's very early. Um, and you basically show up, and, and there's different chapters around Baltimore City. It's, it's a nationwide organization, um, but I think there's somewhere like five or six chapters in Baltimore City. Um, and then there's guys who are in the program, and these guys are working towards, you know, gaining employment, gaining housing, going back to school, getting certifications and, and training. And so the running component kind of brings, I think, most importantly, community to these guys and, and also kind of a consistency and a, a constructed schedule that, you know, if they show up, there's going to be other people that show up there with them. And if, if they do well, there's going to be other people rooting them on and cheering for them. And I think I, for me personally, addiction issues have, have not affected me personally, but, but have definitely affected, you know, people that I'm close to. And I think the biggest problem is isolation. And I think that I'm sure you can, you can vouch to this, that the running community is just usually brings forth such positive people and such motivated people. And that's just the perfect type of, of community that you want surrounding these individuals as they're trying to kind of, you know, get their lives back together. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I, I've heard such great things about 
you know, the success stories uh, from the group, um, you know, without getting into anyone's personal business, are, are there any sort of favorite success stories that, uh, you know, you've kind of seen in your time with the group? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I used to hate running in groups because I was way too competitive and I felt like, you know, group runs were for fun and I was trying to get faster. And so I was kind of hesitant to join a running group in the first place. Um, But I actually, I got so much faster. I, I, one of my best friends was actually a graduating member from the program and him and I trained for our first marathon, which was uh, I think the Baltimore running festival in 2015. Um, So we trained for that together. He was in the program and I was a volunteer and I have actually, I don't think, I think I've done seven marathons so far. And I think every single one I've run um, has been with him. And then I actually ended up qualifying for the Boston Marathon um, at, the, at the Philly Marathon. And I did so with um, three members of the program who were from my team. And then um, the, the executive director at the time, Jackie Range, who who was a pacer for, um, I think, Cliff Bar or something. So she paced me and, and the, the three other guys ran with me. And I, I have never <laughs> been faster than I've actually run with with those guys in that group. So, um, it's, it's just, it's just been a really positive experience. Definitely been a big reason why I, I stay in Baltimore and, you know, I, I feel so kind of connected to the community here is, is just because of my relationships with these guys that are in the program. Yeah. And, and that's fantastic. Actually, I read a very nice article that your dad wrote about, uh, a marathon experience where he came up and visited, with you and expected to just see you run very fast, but then got to sort of experience what it was like for you with the group that day. And, uh, you know, I, I thought that was really insightful to, uh, to kind of see that, uh, perspective, but it did remind me a lot of just what I've gotten out of, of other running groups, but, uh, knowing that it's having such a positive impact on other aspects of people's lives, uh, has got to make it that much more, uh, rewarding uh do you also you know with the group sort of apply some of your uh you know physical therapy uh expertise to be able to you know help uh folks in the group with uh you know maybe their injuries or cross training that sort of thing i do yeah so that was something you know when i was in pt school i was learning about a lot of different things and and trying to kind of apply it and then i i once I became kind of a licensed physical therapist, I thought, you know, there's, there's a real need here for, you know, some of the volunteers, but also the guys who are in the, in the programs, um, there's a real need for at least a screen, like at least, you know, someone who has a basic knowledge of, of mechanics and, and anatomy to, to at least meet with these guys and kind of rule out anything that could be, you know, something you know, develop into an injury in the future. And so many of these guys are, you know, they have never run before. Some of them are a little bit older. um, And, you know, this is a whole new thing for them. And so I constantly, (laughs) I always have people, you know, coming up to me and pointing to different body parts and asking me what's, what's wrong with it, which I have no idea based on (laughs) a pointed spot on your body. But it, it led me to kind of develop this idea of creating an injury prevention program for these guys. Um, so I teamed up with 
um, two other physical therapists, uh, Dr. Jenna Warner um, and Dr. Uh, Alyssa Furs, who I work with at Sinai currently. And we meet at different chapters. So we try to serve as many of the chapters as possible. Um, but we try to hold a clinic once a month. Now that can be tough just based on everyone's schedules. But basically it gives the guys an access uh, to kind of a medical resource, a medical professional that can just provide basic exercises, you know, screens, things like that, so that these guys have a little bit better of an understanding of, of how to go forth with their training, how to kind of complement their training with some other exercises that they can be doing. And then just to give them a resource to know, okay, well, if something should arise, you know, I can just text Annie or I can, you know, message her on Facebook or something like that. Um, so yeah, it's been, it's actually been a really rewarding experience. It's been awesome because it's really helped me, I think, gain more knowledge and expertise in treating runners. And, and it's, you know, I think it's a good service for these guys as well. So, you know, we're happy to do it for them. Yeah, it definitely sounds like it's been beneficial to you and to the group. Uh, you know, uh, you're both sort of fortunate that you found each other there, uh, which actually brings me to one of my last questions. And this is sort of more of just a looking at things globally. If you had to break it down, you know, why do you run? You know, what does it mean to sort of the greater context of your life? Oh, that's a good question. Um, hmm. I think I started running, honestly, for a very, like, personal stress relief reasons. I, I was I was a really stressed out little kid, and our, our family was going through some pretty tough stuff when I first started running. It was really just kind of a way to escape and to, you know, de-stress and, and trying to find my own space and, and kind of gain my own control. And I think as I've, you know, as I've kind of grown older and, and what used to be something that helped me get away from people has now become something that really brings me to a lot of people. Um, and I think that's kind of the beauty that running brings is it brings so much self-reflection when you do it on your own. It, it can give you so much focus. It can really just like allow you to kind of escape a lot of the things that just drive you crazy during the day. Um, but it also really provides some of the greatest people I think you'll ever meet. And it's really cool to see how many different types of people are runners. Um, I have, I have to say, I've never met, you know, a bad <laughs> person who likes to run. I've never met someone I didn't get along with who enjoys running and and you learn so much just about others by by just the simple act of taking, you know, a couple, you know, one step in front of the other with them and, and learning a little bit about them. So I think it I think it just serves so many different purposes in my life. And I think that's, you know, why I keep doing it for myself and why I have such a strong desire to help other people either get into it or keep doing it for themselves. Cause I, I truly see that just the multifactorial benefits of of what it can bring to someone's life. Yeah, I, I can definitely connect to a, a lot of the things that you said there it reminded me of a lot of the things that I love about running, but especially running with others. Uh, I think if I had to run just by myself, it wouldn't be quite as, uh, quite as appealing to me. So uh, <laughs> you know, the social aspects uh, have been really important to me too. So I guess, uh, you know, we're recording now here in sort of late December of 2019. Uh, as far as you're running in 2020, or is there anything that you're looking forward to 
uh, either individually or, uh, you know, any races with a back on my feet crew. You know, I, I made a promise with myself that I will not train for anything until after March because, uh, my, my January, February, and March are, are, are nuts, um, in terms of some, some cool teaching opportunities that have come up and, and things like that. But, um, I'm, so I don't know. I think I'm most excited to just pick something out and run it. I, uh, I did the river Valley ranch trail, um, trail 10 K or 15 K. I can't remember which one I did. I should know that, but I think I'm trying to get more into trail running and, and trail racing. I'm kind of kind of sick of the road so if you i'm going to be following along and trying to see you know what you put out there for trail races because i've kind of got hooked after that last one but i'm i'm trying to trying to wait to start training even though i miss it to to allow myself to focus on a couple other things that have to get done first yeah absolutely and uh yeah i'm definitely in sort of the trail mood coming off of a, a marathon season uh just trying to to maybe try something a little bit different. Uh, I don't know, maybe you need to, uh, you know, kind of get a trail race maybe for some of the back on my feet crew to get them out, uh, get them off the roads too. I wonder if yeah, there'd be any interest. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, do you know of any climb coming up? Um, well, recommend? I'm, you know what, the interesting thing, actually probably the best one, uh, especially, uh, the problem with so many of the trail races is that there's plenty of 50 K's out there, but you know, you need shorter woods, but, the day of the super bowl, uh, BRC does a super bowl trail race out in yes, Cromwell. I did that Park one last year, actually. So, and that's sort of an accessible distance. Uh, so at yes. least in the near future, that would be, uh, probably the one I would recommend. Uh, they get a little bit more plentiful into the spring, but uh, yeah, that'd probably be the what I would uh, identify first. You know, low key, low cost of entry, um, and and you know we could pr- uh, probably get some spots in that for the back of my feet crew. I know the BRRC does a lot with them. Yeah, that would be awesome. That would be great. Okay, well I'll put that one on my on my calendar then because that should be good timing, I think. Yeah, that'd be great. Miami, I want to thank you so much for, uh, you know, sharing so much, uh, you know, about your practice, but also your own running story. I do have a couple of fun little cool down questions to close it out if you're ready. Sure. Yeah. All right. Uh, so, you know, we've learned about you as a runner, you as a, uh, a physical therapist. Uh, but what's one thing that people might be surprised to learn about you? Oh, man. Surprised. Oh, boy. This isn't a surprise to people who do know me, but I'm like, you know, maximally obsessed with my dog, which if you follow me on Instagram, there's also a lot of pictures of her. She's a runner, too. And I like, man, I love this dog. So that's probably what some people don't know about me is I, uh, you know, she's got she's got her own running jacket and she's got her special running leash and she you know, takes her joint supplements every day. So that's probably one fun fact people might not know is that my dog is probably a bigger athlete than I am because I, I just, she's, you know, she's my training buddy. Yeah. Uh, does your dog ever race? She has raced. She actually won the frozen finger five miler, um, two, I think it was three years ago, which, um, which was really impressive. And, you know, it was just her and a golden retriever. So it was a, you know, it was a slim pool of competitors, but 
she really, you know, she blew that golden retriever away. So I was pretty proud of her for that one. Nice, nice. Are you doing the frozen finger this year? Um, I might be. I'm trying to actually figure out my my friend David, who's who who him and I run pretty much everything together. He's trying to get me to do it, so I just have to make sure I can fit it in before I actually leave for India that night. So we're trying to see if I can do it before we go. Yeah, that that's a big one, India. That's uh, quite an adventure all in and of itself. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'll yeah. be teaching well, uh, uh, running mechanics in India actually, so that'll be kind of cool. Yeah, I think we might have to have you back on to chat about that later. <laughs> yeah, I can think in and of itself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it should be a really, really cool experience. So I can can update you on once I'm once I'm back. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, kind of in the long term, you know, is there sort of like one dream race or running adventure, say in the next ten years, that if you had an opportunity, you'd really like to put it on your list? I think. Um... There's certain marathons I really want to do, and one of them um, is the Big Five Marathon, which you run through, uh, you know, the Safari Desert, and you run, you know, in in a sense around like the Big Five game prospects, and it's very hard to get into. <laughs> it's a very small lottery, I think, that they do. Um, like a whole series of marathons that the big five is one of them the great wall of china is one um i think london is on there i'm not sure but that the big five one is just something that i've i've thought would be so neat to to go out and just run out in the desert and and with nature right there so that would be probably my dream race okay uh where is that one located i I don't think i've come across that one (laughs) <laughs> honestly it's somewhere in africa that's all i know <laughs> so i i i had stumbled upon it and it popped up like in an email and like i said they do a series it's a company that that does these different marathons around the world and and i was reading into it and i was like this is kind of nuts but they i think they only let in like i think it's 140 people or something like that um and so it's super small. And like I said, I, I'm not sure it's ever really going to happen. There's a couple local ones that are probably a little more feasible here in the United States. But uh, but I haven't fully looked into it. But I I just know it's somewhere in Africa. You run in, in the desert and you, you know, your chance of seeing wildlife is somewhat high. But they've got, I think, Maasai warriors patrolling it. So it's, I don't know. It sounds crazy to me. <laughs> yeah, but, like but that's all the more reason to want to do it. I mean, uh, <laughs> to be able to, it's one thing to join in the New York City Marathon with 53,000 or so of your closest friends, but, uh, you know, to do a race that most people have never heard of or in a setting most people may never see, that's, right. that's pretty cool stuff. Uh, so last cool down question, just in running or in life, uh, what are you most grateful for right now? Oh, man, most grateful for um, you know, holidays, you know, I think I'm actually leaving, my boyfriend and I are leaving on Saturday morning to go see my family and I haven't seen them in since October, which is actually like not that long ago, but, um, I just had a new nephew born in October as well. So I just, I don't get to see my family nearly as much as I want to. And I think, you know, being able to spend time, you know, down there with them is just I've been looking forward to it for about 
a month and a half now. So I think mostly I'm grateful just to have the opportunity to get off work for a week and kind of unplug and, and go down south where it's a little warmer and hang out with them and, and hang out with my new nephew, which I'm pretty, pretty stoked about. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's a great place to land at Annie. Again, thank you so much for all your time and for sharing your story. Um, just one more time. Uh, it's if people wanted to follow you on social media, uh, it's pace underscore doctor, right? On Instagram. Right. And uh, they could reach out to you there if they wanted to find out a little bit more about uh, your the running injury program there, the Rubin Institute, uh, but also back on my feet. Uh, if people would to learn more about that, how could they do it? Um, you know, they, I believe their hold, what they do is they hold orientations for members who are interested or for potential volunteers. They used to hold them out of Charm City running, but I, I have a feeling they moved them, um, to helping up mission. And I think they do them either once a month. I honestly, the process has changed a little bit. It's been so long since I oriented. Um, but what you can do is I know that if you just go to the back of my feet website, you can check the Baltimore, um, the Baltimore chapter and it'll give you kind of updates and who to contact if you're really interested in. Um, and then also I could kind of pass along if someone wanted to reach out to me, I could, I could put them in contact with some of the, the people who run the organization now and, and get them set up. So, but I know that they do orientations. I want to say either, I think I want to say it's on a monthly basis and, the orientation is really great. At least when I was there, it really gives a good synopsis of what you're getting yourself into. And I, I think it's okay too to just show up to a run. I've seen several people do that without orienting. So you can look and see where, like I said, I run with helping at mission, which is on Baltimore street and, you know, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, you know, there's, there's people there at five 30 in the morning. So you could just show up, introduce yourself and, day you want to get involved and we're pretty pretty friendly to newcomers so so that's another option all right that's all fantastic again th annie thank you so much i hope to see you at a race suit or uh you know definitely at somewhere out there on the run definitely glenn thanks so much for having me on i, I really enjoyed it i said daddy what am i to do you the very best man you can he said before we wrap up episode 30, I want to thank those who helped to make it possible. Thanks to Bobby Marinelli, Catherine Field Flowers, and Dan Farrell for sharing experiences at your recent races. And a big thanks to Dr. Annie Neuror for sharing your running story and for giving us insight into your work as a physical therapist and experiences with Back on My Feet. To get in touch with Annie and to learn more about her work, follow Pace underscore doctor on Instagram or go to lifebridgehealth.org and search for the Running Injury Program. A special thank you goes out to the Kelly Bell Band for the use of your music in the podcast. Go to www.kellybellband.com for more information on this incredible band and to find out where they'll be playing next. Check out their new video for their song, I'm Gone, on their website. Last and certainly not least, I would like to thank each and every one of you again for your support of the podcast and for telling your friends about it. I make this podcast for you, and it would not exist without your support. 
We'll be back again in a couple of weeks with a new episode, but until then, I hope to see you running around Baltimore. Might have to get a